Hi, it's Curious City's Jason Mark here, asking for your support. Mostly because listener support is how WBEZ pays the bills, but also because it's Curious City's 10th anniversary. And when you give to WBEZ at any dollar amount, you'll get a chance to help edit a future podcast with the team. And you can pick up the Curious City 10th anniversary mug. But you gotta hurry, because this mug and the chance to hang with the team ends soon. So give now and give what you can at wbez.org slash Curious Decade. That's wbez.org slash Curious Decade. So I'm driving around in my neighborhood, and there are just a ton of potholes. Well, there's one. And there's another one. And there's one. And there's two more. We're right in the heart of that freeze-thaw, freeze-thaw time of year that potholes really thrive in. Even Adriana, Curious City's reporter, had a recent run-in with a pothole. I was coming back from picking up my son Juno, and all of a sudden I hit this huge pothole, and I could hear, like, the rim touching the concrete. (laughs) I couldn't believe that a huge pothole like that existed on Lakeshore Drive. If you have any experience at all driving around Chicago, you know exactly what we're talking about here. But did you know that you might be able to get some money from the city if you damage your car because of a pothole? It's true. It's easy to fact check whether or not a pothole existed at a certain place and time. And the city of Chicago has paid a good chunk of change over the years to drivers. We'll tell you how that happens later on in the podcast. But first, we revisit a story from 2017, and it's pothole-related. A few of the people we've talked to have changed jobs, but the pothole problem hasn't changed. Potholes form on our streets, obviously, and our streets are mostly paved with asphalt. One Curious City listener noticed that and wondered, Is asphalt the best choice for Chicago's streets? Reporter John Fasile has that answer coming up. We'll be right back. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. (laughs) I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. Max Melgarejo lives in Chicago, but he has family in Lima, Peru. So he visits from time to time. When he's there, he likes to stroll through Lima's squares and open-air markets, sometimes munching on picarones, these delicious Peruvian donuts. And he always notices this thing about the streets. In Lima, the streets are all made out of cement. That's gray cement concrete not blacktop asphalt, which is what the streets in Chicago and most other U.S. cities are paved with. This gets Max thinking about potholes, which is something only a Chicagoan would find themselves thinking about while visiting South America. He notices fewer potholes on the main boulevards of Lima than he does back home. Eight or nine times a day I hit a pothole. You kind of get that 
dunk dunk the first tire goes in and then you kind of bounce or jolt and then your rear tire goes in. So he asked us, is asphalt the best choice for Chicago streets? This is a question I've had myself. I'll be driving on the all-concrete Dan Ryan, and it's smooth sailing until I get off at literally any exit. And then, pothole city. You know that old adage that Chicago has two seasons, winter and construction? Why not build roads that are meant to last by using highway-strength concrete instead of crumbly asphalt? I visited the company that has the largest asphalt supply contract with the city of Chicago, Ogden Avenue Materials, located along the north branch of the Chicago River. There, I met engineer and fourth-generation owner Anne Began Wilson. She gave me a tour of her plant. So we'll start here in the back. You can see piles of the raw material that make up asphalt. There's gravel, sand, and chunks of recycled asphalt shingles and road surface. It all gets fed onto conveyor belts and combined with hot petroleum tar. That tar is called asphalt binder. That mixes with all of the virgin rock and the recycled material into our finished product. The finished asphalt is stored in these 60-foot-high green silos that have chutes at the bottom. Trucks drive under them, the chutes open, and hot asphalt pours out. The asphalt comes out at 300 degrees, so it's hot. The drivers have to stay in the trucks with windows closed so that nobody gets hurt. So in other words, this would be a great way for somebody to die in a horror movie. (laughs) Of course, asphalt has a well-known rivalry with a certain other paving material. The competition between concrete and asphalt people is legendary, I guess. If you were to go back in history and look at the Roman roads, there was probably some guy peddling asphalt and some guy peddling whatever version of cement and concrete. This is Randy Riley, and he is definitely a concrete guy. They didn't build Soldier Field out of asphalt. Randy heads up the Illinois chapter of the American Concrete Association. He says that while concrete costs a lot more up front, it's ultimately the more economical choice because it requires less maintenance than asphalt. We tend to build asphalt pavements, and they have a 15-year service life. Concrete has a you know, 25, 30, 40-year service life before you do something to it. Randy tells me that there are concrete roads in southern Illinois that have been in place for over 100 years. You can go up in the Chicago area, and you can actually find up in Glenview, there's some streets that are probably 80 to 90 years old in concrete. A suburban street in Glenview isn't going to handle nearly as much traffic as a high-volume urban street, like Ashland Avenue. So I went to Chicago's Department of Transportation to ask why they choose asphalt, the cheap, fast option, over slow, durable, reliable concrete. John Sadler, the department's assistant chief highway engineer, says a fully concrete road is impractical. That's because there's a complicated spider web of utilities beneath our urban street network. We have everything from telecommunication lines to sewer, water, gas, ComEd. All told, I think there's upwards of 30 agencies which have utilities underneath our roadways. Those utilities frequently need repair. Asphalt is easier to peel up and then replace with a patch that will match the rest of the street level, keeping the surface relatively smooth. But that doesn't mean the city doesn't use concrete. 
In fact, most high-volume streets, like Ashland Avenue, use what's called a composite pavement, which combines both concrete and asphalt. It's a three-layer cake of pavement with asphalt on the top, concrete in the middle, and aggregate underneath. By aggregate, he means stone, but there could also be wood or bricks or really whatever else is under there. Composite roads benefit from the strength and solidity of concrete, and the asphalt on top acts as a wearing layer, protecting the concrete structure and extending the life of the road. It really allows us to use the best material properties of both concrete and asphalt. So this legendary competition between the materials is pretty silly. Chicago's major roads use them both. And what about those potholes? Well, they occur when water gets into cracks, freezes and expands, and then thaws, causing crumbling. They're driven by freeze-thaw cycles, which are drastic swings in temperature common in a landlocked northern city like Chicago and less common in a temperate coastal city like Lima, Peru. Potholes develop in both concrete and asphalt, but in Chicago, they're mostly confined to that top layer of asphalt, which is easy to patch. Thanks to John Fasile for that reporting. Just ahead, what can you do when you hit a really big pothole? I mean, besides swearing. Stay with us. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. One day, Mara Divis was driving home from work on Western Avenue in Chicago, and she hit a pothole. That was actually a simulation. It was pretty dramatic, pretty loud, and it just destroyed my tire. And she was indignant. Her city had attacked her car. Um, I just, just had this range of, like, annoyance and anger. But was there any recourse? Well, she found out that you actually can request reimbursement from the city for pothole damage. There were a lot of things I had to get in order to get that done, like proof of insurance at the time, a police report. Two estimates for repair or alternatively the actual repair bill. Optional photo of the part of the road that damaged your car. It felt a little excessive. One thought that occurred to me that's probably obvious is it's a dissuasion. If someone's willing to go through all of these steps, then okay. But they're betting on the likelihood that people will likely not. I'll get to whether she was actually reimbursed in a minute, but she did have a question for Curious City. How does the city determine which claims it approves, and how many of those claims do they approve? Well, last year, the city approved a large majority of the 295 claims that were made. The majority of pothole claims are approved because they are a fairly simple investigation. That's Ann Emerson, chief of staff for the city council's finance committee. She says the committee evaluates every claim that comes in, but it's not like the aldermen on the committee are looking at the individual claims. They have a staff to do that. 
Emerson says they make the call based on the evidence provided, the photos, the estimates or repair receipts. They also check with the Department of Transportation. It's easy to fact check whether or not a pothole existed at a certain place and time, and it's not infrequent to have multiple 311 reports or direct claims for one pothole. The staff recommends which claims to approve and which to deny, but it's the aldermen on the committee who actually vote on the claims together in one big chunk. If the committee approves the claim, they offer a settlement. Now, this is never the full amount of the repair because the city says the driver bears some responsibility for hitting the pothole. Mara, our question asker, did get a settlement. It was within a year, maybe like six to eight months. I was really, really pleasantly surprised when it did. Mara was offered $60, exactly half of the repair cost. But others have their claims rejected. Emerson says that decision is final, but people can always sue the city if they feel their claim was wrongfully denied. As for Mara, she says the system worked for her, but she does worry about other people. Who aren't going to do this or who can't do this, who simply don't have the wherewithal or time to go through these hoops. Pothole claims were down in 2020 and 2021 from pre-pandemic years, but the traffic seems to be returning and temperatures in Chicago never stop fluctuating. So. Be aware and be ready to fill out that paperwork. A few quick updates. John Sadler is no longer the Assistant Chief Highway Engineer for the Chicago Department of Transportation. And Randy Riley is no longer the chapter head of the Illinois chapter of the American Concrete Pavement Association. Curious Cities reporter is Adriana Cardona Magigat. Our digital and engagement producer is Maggie Sivet. Asia Singleton is our intern. And Curious City's editor is Alexandra Solomon. Support for Curious City comes from the Conan Family Foundation. I'm producer Jason Mark. Thanks for spending some time with us, and we'll see you back here next week. At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little-known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.